Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. It's just coming to the end of a very brief Christmas period. So how was your Christmas, Patrick? Absolutely fantastic. It's what, the 28th today? Obviously, these people people listening to this, it's probably the New Year's already. So happy New Year's, everyone. Um, but yeah, we're back in lockdown um, for two weeks, I think they said. But we all know it's going to be at least three, four months. Um, but at least gyms are open. So you win some, you lose some, I suppose. Um, but anyway, look, Gary, people don't care about how our lives are going because realistically, everyone's life is pretty fucking shit at the moment. We're just stuck indoors, sitting at home, you know, getting on. People are like, oh yeah, new year, new me and all that. But at the same time, they're like, like I can't leave my house. So it's probably going to be uh delayed um until we're allowed you know live our lives like normal humans are supposed to be and um, but anyway look that's beside the point um nothing exciting in your world no absolutely nothing yeah i thought so and so uh what are we actually going to discuss today um what is the the topic of conversation we're discussing fat body fat and doing so in a manner that's probably a lot more uh bland than we have done recently. So we're doing a, a kind of an obesity series at the moment, as you folks will be aware if you've been listening along. And so far, we've discussed a number of contributors to obesity. We've discussed the concept of me- metabolically healthy obesity, some of the complications of obesity, but we haven't yet kind of got in, into depth on what body fat actually is, uh, why it causes some of the problems that it does, um, why sometimes it doesn't cause any problems, um, and all of those types of things. So, you know, we want to talk about fat and explain what it is and why it actually matters. So this is the podcast where we basically give you the foundation of that. And that then goes on to help you to understand all of the factors related to, well, why weight loss is beneficial, why you do actually want some fat and less isn't always better. Um, and also, obviously, why excess body fat, particularly in certain parts of the body, can be harmful for health. Yeah, and this this is actually incredibly important to understand, to then understand all the the issues that go on with obesity, right? And that's obviously why we're covering it, because although we have said multiple, like probably countless times on the podcast, oh, body fat or fat or, you know, whatever, like most people, other than obviously touching your own body fat or seeing body fat on other individuals, you don't really think much beyond that. And that goes for like personal trainers. That even goes for like healthcare workers, like people actually in the medical professions, professions, yeah. Um, and you don't really think much beyond fat. And especially with the way we'll call it Western medicine has gone, even though I hate saying Western medicine because it makes you already sound like you're about to like, you know, drop some fucking woo-woo shit. But the, the way Western medicine and like Western science has we'll say evolved, like we kind of treated fat like uh, some sort of inert substance because like the way we discovered hormones, for example, in the past was, you know, we would basically get this fucking random gland in the body from, I don't know, a guinea pig, a dog, a rat, fucking rodent, whatever. And they would crush it up and then they would extract things from it. Right. Um, but you can't really do that with fat. Like that's, like that's not how you would and that's not how we discovered that fat was an endocrine organ in and of itself which we'll come to in a second and because you can't really just get rid of all your fat like it's not a specific gland in the body that you can like extract things from and then inject them back into the body like we could do with the pancreas and insulin for example 
right? Um, so it kind of, that happened obviously 100 years ago, well, actually 115 years ago or so that we discovered insulin. Um, but we didn't really understand that fat itself had other roles um, than just kind of being this inert thing that's on the body until relatively recently. Like a lot of this research was done in like the 2000s, you know, which is, you know, obviously if you're only 20 odd years old, you kind of think like, oh yeah, it's basically been like that my whole lifetime. But if you consider like we've known about like testicularly derived sterile ketones and, you know, like testosterone um, for a hundred odd years, it's like, this is very recent in its its overall discovery, these kind of things, these hormones and stuff that we'll, we'll get into. Um, but most people think of fat still in that kind of pre- we'll call it the, the pre-hormone um, thought process in terms of they think of it as an inert substance. It's just like stored on your body fat, right? Which obviously brings us to our first role of body fat because we'll go through a few different roles of it, what, what it does uh, to start your the, the cogs in your head, you know, turning. Um, but most people know that it is a store of fatty acids. You know, it's a store of, you know, energy for your body. Like, and that's fundamental to an understanding of, you know, calories in, calories out, how you change body composition, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, this is stored energy. That's what it is, right? So you've got a fat cell. It's got like, same thing like a nucleus, same thing like a fucking mitochondria. It has all the other stuff that, you know, a normal cell has. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later on in terms of there are different types of fat um, and it also behaves differently depending on where it is in your body. But we'll come to that. Um, but you have your, your normal cell. Like if you think back to your like, you know, middle school kind of like leaving cert, junior cert um, education, like your second level education, even like, you know, primary school, you learn some of this stuff. You know, you think of a cell, basically a fat cell is the same as that, except the majority of it is made up of like a kind of storage part for fatty acids, right? So if you ever see a fat cell, they're usually depicted as like, you know, if you're watching this, it's basically like a circle and then they'll have like a little tiny segment at the side of it. And that'll house all the, the nucleus, the mitochondria, the, all the other stuff that goes on with a normal cell. And then the big portion of it is usually depicted in this kind of yellow thing, which is just, you know, that's fat. That's just adipose tissue. Right. And that's, that's how most people think of fat. They think of it as an energy store, but it is actually far, far more than this. Right. And understanding this, it actually does let you understand a whole host of other things that are peripheral to this. And one of the things, actually, before I go on to that, Gary, do you have anything else to say on it being an energy store? Because we'll probably touch on a few more things quite quickly. Yeah, I suppose like just to even like scale it back, like another bit, you know, you said that a lot of people have an idea of, of body fat as like not even being at the endocrine stage that it's kind of pre-hormonal that people aren't at that level of understanding yet. But I would say that like a lot of people, even in the fitness industry, people who would be, who would talk about fat, they don't even appreciate the cellular, the basic cellular um, aspect of adipose tissue. Because like, I think the easiest way that people typically probably think about it is that it's just an infinite energy store that's there. Like that there's some parts where fat just goes and it, it just kind of stays there. But understanding the fact that, it, that fat is located within these individual adipocytes or fat cells is actually really important uh, to go on to understand uh, some of the complications. So rather than thinking of it as just this kind of big sack of energy, you have to think of it like it's these individual cells that much like other cells in the body also require 
um, a blood supply, for example, and that there's infiltration of immune cells and there has to be pathways for these hormones to be released, um, for example. So just appreciate that it is a lot more complicated than just a big sack of excess energy because you ate too much. You know, they, they are individual cells. Yeah, that is actually really important, especially like the, the blood flow stuff, because people kind of forget that, especially when you're talking about fat loss. Like people will, like I've been doing some of the, the lectures for... Uh, the coach's corner and we're talking about like rates of fat loss and stuff and people will try to calculate oh how many calories of a deficit should i be in to lose a kilo of fat and if you were to think of it in terms of just a fat cell and you're like all right this is pretty much all fatty tissue right like it's actual like fatty acids right you would come to a conclusion that to lose one kilo of fat you would have to be in a nine thousand calorie deficit right because you know one gram of fat is nine calories right but that's not the way it actually works in terms of your body because we also have to talk about like water weight loss we also talk about like you know all the uh, eventually as we get you know deeper and deeper into losing body fat you have to talk about like you know you kind of lose capillaries you kind of lose like uh, blood vessels you know like that kind of stuff changes as well but that's getting far off topic and but right so most people are aware that it's an energy store right and i do as Gary said, I think you should think, think a little bit deeper about that, but we'll get into why that is the case. You should think deeper about it as we get through this. But one of the things that I do want to bring up, uh, first of all, is still thinking in this kind of inert way. Like it's just kind of like, this is something that's just held on your body, right? And that concept does actually give you some properties to the body right and what i mean by that is um like fat is an actual like thermoregulatory organ right it helps you regulate the, the, the your temperature right and this is actually quite interest, interesting when you start looking at the intersection of say for example nutrition um like both of us like you know wildlife we like nature that kind of stuff and start thinking about like the interplay of like how nature changes the 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 body fat that you carry for example you might see like a seal right and because they live in such cold water you know they need to have a lot of body fat they need to have a lot of blubber to effectively insulate them from the cold right but you should also think a little bit deeper about that from a nutrition perspective because just imagine you were to put some sort of fat in the freezer right so if you put like um olive oil is a good one right because olive oil it's somewhat similar similar to body fat right it's not actually because obviously it's it's liquid at room temperature and your body fat is not liquid at room temperature <laughs> but somewhat similar right but if you were to put olive oil into the fridge right it would slowly solidify right so we know that temperature influences the 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 properties of these fatty acids right and the reason i'm going off on this tangent is because when you start thinking of the diet and you start thinking of the different fatty acids that we have in terms of like polyunsaturated, monounsaturated and saturated fat, like when you're looking for sources of polyunsaturated fat, you generally see recommended, um, oh, cold water fish, right? Cold water fatty fish, right? And the reason for that is because if these fish were to be swimming in cold water and they stored predominantly saturated fat, like they would be solid, right? That fat would be solid in that frigid water right? So they need like polyunsaturated fat as an energy store, as a, a, a buffer, you know, an, an insulator, because if they had another type of fat stored there, or predominantly another type of fat stored there, like it would be solid at room temperature. And like, imagine if the body fat around your, your, just your, your stomach or whatever was solid, like, you know, 
a block of butter or something. Like you wouldn't be able to move effectively, right? So this is why this kind of stuff is important just to think a little bit deeper with. And even if like, it's just for your own, you know, mind games or knowledge or whatever, it is an interesting tie together of a few different things, you know? But anyway, that's, that's one of the roles for body fat. It's just a, a thermoregulatory organ. It helps you keep your body temperature at a certain level. And this is what we talked about before. And something I've been talking about on my, my Instagram posts as of recently, talking about like this kind of Goldilocks zone of body fat, where you don't want to have too little, but you also don't want to have too much, right? And this, this is more so on the, the too little uh, side of things when we're talking about this thermoregulatory role, like you will see, especially bodybuilders, for example, who get shredded, like they'll just complain all the time about being cold, right? And there's more to it than just the, the body fat, you know, as an insulator, like there is like differences in thyroid, like circulating thyroid hormones. And there's also differences in terms of like uh, protein uncoupling and, you know, effectively, you know, heat loss to the environment along with this thermic effect of feeding. But one of the reasons that they are feeling cold is because they don't have this layer of insulation around them. Even if it is only like, I'll say 8% body fat, it's like, it still has a uh, a very good insulating role, which is another role of it in terms of like myelin and around your nerves, but that's a different story. Do you have anything to say on the, the thermoregulatory role of body fat, Gary? No, I think that's it's pretty simple. Pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Um, now, the next thing then um, is like as a protective padding, right? And again, you don't really think of this stuff, but it, if you've been around, for example, bodybuilders, like they will talk about how like when they're shredded, like walking hurts. You know, like they're the bottom of their, the sole of their foot. Like they don't have the padding on the bottom of their foot. And like effectively the bones are against the skin, which is then against the, the ground. And that's obviously not correct. Like there's connective tissue, et cetera, muscles, whatever. Um, but they feel the ground much, much more because they don't have that protective buffer on the, the, the sole of their foot, right? And that's obviously a, a, a more extreme example, but it's the same in just your everyday life. Um, like fat is a bit of a protective padding. Um, and if you've ever been like boxing or anything, like you'll, you'll know this, I should say, if you've ever been boxing and you have excess fat on your body, you'll know this because it does also absorb like punches and stuff, right? Like it's like wearing like Joe Rogan actually always says, it. it's like wearing a couple of jumpers and getting hit. It's like, you know, the, the jumpers take the, the blows. It's like, it's not like your, your vital organs are taking the blows or, you know, your, your ribs are taking the blows. It's like, no, it's that big fatty chunk of meat. Well, that fatty chunk of fat um, over your ribs that is, is taking the blow. So like, we understand that again, once you think a little bit deeper, you go, okay, yeah, obviously that makes sense. Like fat plays this kind of protective padding role. And if you don't have fat in the case of like bodybuilders and um, well, you do have fat, but you know what I mean? It's very low. Um, things are a little bit different, right? In terms of how you move, you know, and if you've ever got leaner in the gym yourself, like you probably notice this in terms of, you know, there's no uh, protective padding on your upper back when you're doing like the bench press or something. And you kind of, your scapula just feel really like kind of, you know, sore against the, 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 the pad at the back, you know, or different machines, they might be just, you know, touching on your bone basically, or like this, this part of your skin where there's very little or part of your body where there's very little padding. Right. So again, that's fairly understandable. Like if you were to just think a little bit deeper about it, about like, Oh, what roles does fat have in the body? You would probably be able to come up with that stuff. You don't think to add to that Gary, do you? Um, no, I'll, I'll actually make the, the point soon because we'll get to it. Keep going. All right. um, and then the next role is one that we obviously already touched on is as an energy store, right? And that's 
that's pretty standard, pretty obvious in terms of what we've been talking about. Most people understand that, you know, especially if they understand calories in, calories out, they understand that body fat is an energy store, right? However, again, thinking a little bit deeper with nutrition, what you also start to realize is that, you know, body fat is a store for the fat soluble vitamins as well. Now, that's not where all of them are stored. And also it is where we'll call them toxins, even though I hate saying words like that, because again, people get into this like woo woo type of deal. Um, but when your body can't deal with toxins in the body, whatever they are, right. And um, it'll store them in body fat until they can be dealt with at a later stage. Right. Um, and that like, especially the fat soluble vitamin stuff like that, you kind of forget about that. But again, it's fairly obvious. Once you think a little bit deeper, you go, these vitamins or whatever are fat soluble, like, your body doesn't store the water-soluble vitamins because they can just be excreted in your urine, et cetera. Um, but if they're fat-soluble vitamins, they can be stored. Like most people are aware of that. And the, the classic case being vitamin D, right? So traditionally in society, or society, in our history, you know, you would have effectively got your vitamin D during the summer, right? Um, and during the summer, you would have stored extra body fat in preparation, well, during the summer slash autumn you would have stored extra body fat in preparation for the winter and then as you leaned out during the winter because you had no food um, you would you know be effectively drip feeding this vitamin d back into your in, back into circulation from where it's been stored in your body fat right and um, also other ones you'll see like obviously i'm we're just talking about the, the, the body fat here. Like that's your, your liver and stuff does also store this stuff, especially in the case of say, for example, uh, vitamin A, right? Like if the getting vitamin A or was it vitamin D? I think it's actually both of them. But in terms of like people getting vitamin A or vitamin D toxicity, um, they always get it if they eat polar bear liver, right? Because again, like that's, that's a, they're storing it there for, for later use. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's just in case you're ever thinking about eating some polar bear liver, just, you know, maybe some small bites, not, not the whole thing. Um, but, um, that's, that's just an interesting thing that you would be thinking about in terms of, Oh, there's, it stores fat soluble vitamins. But again, this is one of those roles which you're like, if you thought a little bit deeper, you know, it's fairly, fairly understandable. If you understand nutrition, it's not, you know, totally out there. Right. Um, before we get on to it as an active endocrine organ, Gary, do you have anything else to say on any of that? Yeah, I guess ju just one point on the fat-soluble fat vitamin topic, um, because this is something that you will actually hear recommended. Like, for example, sometimes when people have vitamin D deficiency, um, it'll be prescribed basically like all at once in like a big dose sometimes, or you might hear like all oh, once per week. And we hear a, a bolus dose. That's yeah, like one massive bolus. Sometimes you can get like 50,000 IUs of vitamin D prescribed to you. Um, and the same thing when it comes to like vitamin A, you know, you'll hear people say sometimes, oh, have a bit of liver or organ meats like once a week, takes care of your needs or whatever. And the reason for that is exactly as Patty's saying, because you have the capacity to store those away. So it's not simply that if you have excesses of those and that they just get, you know, excreted in your urine but they can be stored, but there is also um, that risk of toxicity. So, you know, you don't just say, Hey, more vitamin A is great. So let's have, you know, half kilo of liver every day, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so 
they're all fairly understandable, fairly intuitive. Yeah. Once again, like you think a bit deeper about it, like the lay person, like you're just the, the average person off the street. If they knew anything at all really about nutrition, they'd probably be able to come up with, you know, three out of four of those different things. You know, it's like, oh, energy store, you know, has a bit of a role in, they maybe wouldn't say thermoregulatory, you know, but they'd be like, yeah, it keeps you, you know, warmer. You know, most people are aware of that. And they probably think again, like protective padding, you know, it's fairly intuitive stuff, right? And but the stuff that's not necessarily intuitive is obviously that fat soluble vitamin stuff. And most people wouldn't get that. But the real thing that most people weren't aware of, especially like pre 1990s, pre 2000s, was that it was an active endocrine organ in and of itself. In and what I mean by that is it actually secreted its own hormones. If you want to like, you know, separate you as an entity and like your, your, your testicles are secreting their own hormones. It's like, it's obviously your body hormones, but you know what I mean? Like they were secreting as a tissue hormones, right? Um, and some of these are secreted by the actual tissue itself. And some of them are, we'll call them uh, transformed within that adipocyte or that fat cell because of an increase in certain enzymes in that fat cell. And the first one we'll get onto because that obviously illustrates that is estrogen. Like um, fatty tissue, like fat cells have a, a higher prevalence of the aromatase enzyme, which is the enzyme responsible for converting testosterone into estrogen, right? right. And that's a perfectly normal thing. Like, especially men, like, you, well, I shouldn't say especially men, both sexes um, need estrogen even though men especially traditionally in the health and fitness industry it's like oh you want to crush your estrogen you want to have none whatsoever and that's just not the case you do want to have some estrogen right however estrogen is a more potent hormone than testosterone per molecule right it's a stronger molecule for example like it binds it does more stuff for one like for example like one estrogen is the same effect of like 100 testosterone now it's obviously not to that degree but you know what i'm saying it's it's more potent right and um, and one of the roles of estrogen especially in men is to serve as a negative feedback uh loop or you know signaling molecule that's telling your body that you have enough testosterone right because there's always going to be some degree of conversion from testosterone into estrogen like the aromatase enzyme is not just in fat cells right and um, because again you need estrogen and um, and one of the roles of it is again to signal that you have made enough testosterone right now if you have a huge amount or a higher amount i should say of fat tissue you're going to have more aromatase enzyme which is then going to result in a higher estrogen burden and that's going to then signal to have lower testosterone levels right because it's just a classic negative feedback loop where your body says oh we have enough so stop producing the precursor molecule to the thing that's we have enough of right and um, which obviously as a male especially the context of people listening to this podcast most people are like oh yeah i want to build some muscle you know i want to live my best life you know if you're a male and you have excess body fat and you're converting some of that precious precious testosterone into estrogen like above and beyond a certain point, like you don't need extra estrogen. It's just going to lead to, I'm going to say feminization, you know, and um, it's just going to lead to more female sex characteristics. Now it's not like you're going to, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, it's not like you're going to grow breasts, but you actually literally could like gynecomastia is literally that happens in people that are overweight or, you know, people who have excesses of estrogen, but that's a whole other story. And um, like, yeah, as a male, like you literally do have breast tissue and it can, you know, 
hypertrophy effectively and get bigger and you can grow little little titties um as a male um and also we touched on i think it was in the last podcast or the other one before like you can also then have less dhd circulating and that can leave you with a micro penis for the rest of your life if you didn't have enough dhd during you know sexual development so like that's not a great thing like again we're not we're talking outside of this goldilocks zone like we do need some of that conversion however in the context of this podcast body fat is effectively responsible for that conversion because it houses more of this aromatase enzyme and thus we're getting more conversion right do you have anything to say on that gary no no that covers it again pretty straightforward not intuitive at all but once you realize you're like okay more fat means more estrogen right in males right it's a little bit different for females because well you naturally produce estrogen (laughs) um and yeah, it's just a little bit different in females. So realistically, it doesn't matter a huge amount for females. However, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook because you know you still get insulin resistance. You still get other hormone stuff going on, which is potentially negative if you have too much body fat. However, this is one of the many reasons why women can get away with higher levels of body fat without running into issues, right? Um, the next thing then, and this is, this is kind of more important, especially in a fat loss context, um, uh, what am I saying? Yeah, it's more important in a fat loss context um, for individuals. And this is the fact that adipose tissue secretes leptin, right? So Gary, do you want to talk a little bit about leptin? Because I'm just rattling off here. Yeah, like leptin is something that you've probably heard of if you've been in um, fat loss circles uh, or in the kind of fitness industry for a while. Because fundamentally what leptin does um, is it has anorectic effects, meaning that um, it reduces your appetite. Okay. It can also increase your energy expenditure. It also has many other effects that aren't always um, very helpful. So, you know, for example, if you have very high levels of leptin, and um, that can also lead to things like high blood pressure. It can be part of that pathophysiology. Um, I think we might've mentioned that in the blood pressure series. Um, but like many hormones in the body, one of the things that can happen is that when you get very high levels of a hormone and that signal is constantly going and going, you can become resistant to the signal. And that's one of the things that can happen in obesity is you develop leptin resistance. So you can have you know, high levels of leptin, but you may not necessarily be responsive to it where you'd want to be responsive to it. Because I think that one of the things that is, would seem like the next logical step is, well, if you're saying that leptin reduces appetite, then why don't obese people Um, If leptin is secreted from adipocytes, fat cells, why don't they have just really low levels of appetite? And it's because um, of that um, leptin resistance, along with um, other factors, uh, to my knowledge, at least. Um, It's it's kind of just very, very similar to like insulin resistance. You know, it's like you're secreting effectively too much of this hormone or signaling molecule. And then your body's like, right, look, we just need to stop listening to this fucking signal. I need to just drown it out a little bit. Yeah, and, and one of the, the areas you see this um, illuminated in is the case of lipodystrophy, which I'll mention again later on. But lipodystrophy is basically a state where people basically don't have body fat. And that sounds, first and foremost, like a really good thing. Like all the fitness people be like, oh my God, I wish I had that. But it's actually a pretty disastrous state because you basically have nowhere to put anything. So it goes to really bad places, which will be the, the, the discussion for the latter half of the podcast. But in lipodystrophy, 
obviously if you've got no uh, you've got no fat cells you're not secreting this leptin so one of the potential avenues for treatment um, is uh, the administration of leptin because what it then does um, is well there, there's there's multiple proposed mechanisms but one of them is that it actually has that kind of anorectic effect so reduces appetite um, and stops the, the overeating that could precipitate some of the metabolic uh, problems in those people. And the interesting thing about lipodystrophy in particular is that you basically get all the metabolic complications of obesity without any of the body fats. So that's something that's important to keep in mind because we will be coming back to it. But yeah, that's just an applied example, I think, of of at least understanding um, some of the roles of leptin. There are many, many more. Yeah. And another one just on that, because it's actually probably more applicable rather than the, the health stuff, is like leptin secretion is proportional to body fat levels right and the more body fat you have the more leptin you have right but that also works the opposite way right and this is obviously relevant if you're trying to diet and get really lean because leptin as gary was saying regulates appetite right so if you have less leptin you are hungrier right and that's obviously relevant in the context of trying to get as shredded as possible, right? Like if you're trying to lose as, as much body fat as possible um, and you have very little body fat already, like leptin is going to go up. And this is why people have different strategies. And we've talked about it before on the podcast in terms of like different refeeding strategies, diet break strategies to try to effectively ameliorate some of these adaptations, this, this leptin stuff, which one of them, excuse me, just on that is like carbohydrates and insulin have a big role to play in terms of this kind of crosstalk between all of this stuff, like this free energy availability. And this is why if you've ever seen someone recommend a refeed or a diet break, they'll generally say, you know, you want to get your carbohydrates specifically up to a good level because that influences leptin a bit more than, you know, just having body fat. Like if you're trying to get as shredded as possible, you can't really change your body fat levels apart from going down. Like that's, that's the goal. You can't just like, Oh, I need to strategically hire them up. Like you can't do that. Right. So you have to start manipulating macronutrients. But anyway, that's a, that's a discussion for another time. That signaling is a, a bit more complex than we want to get into here now. And um, the next thing then is adiponectin, right? What's the story on adiponectin, Gary? Yeah. So like adiponectin is, is probably one that you probably wouldn't have heard of if you're kind of in fitness circles um, because like leptin is the big one because it's related to refeed. So everyone's heard of it. Um, but adiponectin like fundamentally has um, insulin sensitizing properties. So it's a generally a good thing. And much like a lot of um, the, the hormones that, that we ha- have and will discuss and some of the metabolic effects, um, Adiponectin secretion depend it varies depending on uh, where the actual fat is that we're talking about, and one of the things that's important as it relates to some of the points we make further on in this discussion is that adiponectin secretion um, is greater from subcutaneous adipose tissue than visceral adipose tissue. Okay, so the fat around the organs doesn't tend to release um, adiponectin to the same degree that subcutaneous adipose, adipose tissue does, and along with that. The, the heavier someone gets and the more full their fat cells get, um, the less uh, adiponectin is going to be uh, secreted. So that's something that's important to understand because uh, while, while you might, again, if we, if we just have this kind of simple thing in our minds that uh, body fat secretes this thing, which is insulin sensitizing, we might think more of that is better, but that's not really the case. And to be honest, like this is the case with most of the things that we will discuss as it relates to body fat. 
a little bit is good. Um, and there's this kind of range, but as it gets too higher, it gets too low, you run into problems. And I think that's really the key point with all of these variables, because as you move on to discuss other um, things that are secreted um, by uh, body fats, such as, you know, there's resistant, there's all, there's all these other molecules. Like, to be honest, like one of the things that, that's probably, you know, not very clear as a listener to, to podcasts, or if you just read stuff on social media, you might think that like different cells in the body just release these few things, or there's just a couple of things within the cell, but it's just ridiculously complicated. And there's infinite acronyms of molecules that we don't really understand and they're secreted. And that is especially the case when we move beyond just the, like the strict hormone or hormonal factors. And you touch on things like immune cells and inflammatory cytokines and things that. like that. Once you start talking about proteins and peptides, you're like, Jesus yeah. Christ, like all these fucking like random little letters put together. Like I remember doing like cell biology, which is, you know, biochemistry for children. Um, they just have all these fucking random acronyms for different fucking things. And you're just like, this is no, not for me. <laughs> yep. And, and overall, like all of these things together from body fat, um, they kind of create um, a nest inflammatory environment or they can uh, do that. And that's the result of uh, multiple different things, like lots of different things that are secreted from body fat. Um, and it's not just, you know, these, these single um, inflammatory cytokines, like a single interleukin or something like that. It's all the interleukins. It's all these macrophage-related proteins, um, macrophage infiltration into the tissue, TNF-alpha, and as well as, you know, the environment of how much leptin there is, adiponectin resistant, etc. All of these things come together to create a potentially net pathological state. Um, so I don't think it's, it's worth, as a listener, thinking about any one of these things as playing the key role, but rather taking the message away that as things get out of control with excess body fat, um, depending on fat cell size, depending on where the fat is located, um, and obviously overall healthy lifestyle, that's what really makes it a case of, is this state healthful or is this state pathological? Yeah, and I think that's especially the case with a lot of things um, yeah. where like, you can get really bogged down in the minutia in terms of looking at like, oh, leptin, that's the thing that we need to be aware of, right? Um, but in reality, it's like, it's the, the interplay of everything that's going on. It's not just this, this one signaling molecule or this one. Now, in some cases, it literally is. But yeah. in the vast majority of cases, it's the overall hormonal cascade, the overall hormonal milieu. Um, it's everything that's going on, which obviously that's not great if you're trying to learn stuff. You know, it's like you want to have a clearly defined, like, and especially if you're a, a lay person, like you're not a scientist or you're not in the medical profession or whatever, like you, you want it to be very easy to understand. And if someone's willing to sell you that, where they're like, look, I have this secret refeed uh, strategy that's going to affect leptin and that's the key. So you then think like, oh, look, there we go. It's been explained to me very clearly. It's leptin and leptin does this, this, and this. And this is how we, we target that, right? But in reality, it's it's not necessarily the case with that. Now, the refeed one is, I'm picking on that, but that's actually a good strategy. I'm not saying it's a bad strategy at all. Like just because people talk about it in terms of leptin doesn't mean that it's not like the strategy of refeeding. It doesn't mean that it's not targeting these other molecules as well like it is actually changing the overall hormonal environment but i digress and um, one of the things that gary touched on there which is obviously important is this kind of uh, secretion of called them inflammatory cytokines right and this is one of the things that it's probably i would say that one of the most groundbreaking things in terms of understanding 
fat, right? In terms of its its endocrine properties, right? Because it actually helps you understand a lot of the things that are experienced when you are, you know, fatter or you have more fat on your your body. Like you start getting like joint ache. Now, obviously, that's a, a an issue of you have more weight to carry around. Like my knees hurt. Yeah, it's like you're you're fifty kilos overweight. Like obviously like unless you're going to get stronger you know those knees are going to hurt right but it also is because you are creating a more inflammatory environment overall um and you're probably very interested in this gary in terms of um how those cytokines influence the the overall brain and how that influences you know neurology i suppose um like there's you could read for days on that stuff and still only just scratch the surface right but for you the listeners all you need to know is that you know, fat cells secrete these inflammatory cytokines, which are just signaling molecules, um, and they are inflammatory, um, and that leads to an inflammatory environment, which is obviously not beneficial if you're trying to build muscle for one, right? You want to obviously have strategic inflammation in terms of, you know, the the, the stimulus from training. Excuse me. Um, but you don't want to have un, un, you know, bridled inflammation everywhere. But more importantly, in terms of health, you definitely don't want just this rampant uh, inflammation, you know, all around the body, right? And obviously, this also crosses the blood-brain barrier, then influences like cortisol secretion, because, you know, just like you get a gluco or a, a cortisone shot to like, you know, help deal with inflammation in your knee or whatever it is, um, your body goes, let's secrete some fucking cortisol um, to help deal with this. But obviously, chronically high cortisol levels in the environment of having chronically high body fat levels, like we start getting this whole cascade, as we were saying earlier on, it's this whole environment that is created then as a result of like one of these signaling molecules signals this other thing, and then this signals this, and then this, this, and this, and this, you know, it goes off into this entire environment where, you know, it's, it's not a conducive environment for muscle building. It's not a conducive environment for health. And you probably feel like fucking crap, you know, and which is, you know, not conducive to just living a enjoyable life like if you have to walk around all day and you feel inflamed you feel like you have brain frog brain frog brain fog you know you just you just feel like crap like that's that's not you're not living your best life then as a result you know and obviously again like harry was saying like and i touched on before it's like there is this goldilocks zone like you do need some of this stuff going on right but there's a range of body fat and we've we've talked about it before i also just did like fucking tree posts on my instagram about it and but there is a range, a healthful range to be in. And, you know, above and beyond that, it's not a great place to be in. Below that, you know, yeah, you could look great on your Instagram and be like, yeah, man, I'm shredded, did my show, whatever. But it's also not a great place to be at long term, right? Training has to say on the, the, I suppose, just finishing off on that cortisol stuff, we also have 11 beta hydroxy steroid dehydrogen dehydrogenase which i'm so bad like this as a biochemist it's my one fault my only fault if you will um just actually being able to say words um that's my my one fault um but you do have this 11 beta hsd um which also effectively we'll, we'll call it recycles um cortisol and you know keeps it going for longer which you know would be potentially beneficial in the context of you know quenching this inflammation but again in the 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 environment that we've created by having excess body fat is more of a chronic environment. So we obviously don't want to have chronic elevations in cortisol. That leads to, again, a lot of brain related stuff going on, which is not beneficial, but also, you know, it's not beneficial for the body overall. Do you have anything else to say on that before we touch on 
a few other things. I think we should just kind of go on to uh, insulin resistance next. And then we can talk about um, the different types of body fat because obviously that is very important. Yeah, I think I think it's probably more helpful if we talk about like the, the types of body fat and then the insulin resistance because okay, it kind of say goes, no more. In, goes in that direction, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I think like first first things first, I think understand that like like this is a bit of a a debate and kind of a weird debate because you're kind of dealing with like endocrinologists who want to make certain points. And then you've got people who are saying, you know, speaking for the patients and then you've got just kind of pure activism, but like a lot of people would be in favor of obesity being classified as a disease. Um, in, and, and there's, there's multiple subclassifications of that argument. Um, and, and some people will call it, you know, sick fat, and you hear the term adiposopathy, adiposopathy, there we go, adiposopathy, there we go. Um, as you said, you're not great at saying words, and that was really a challenge. Adiposopathy, um, that's basically, that's basically uh, a term that's, that's kind of put out there to describe like sick fat disease. And when you think about the overweight or obesity um, as a disease, if we're going to go forward with that, then there's sort of two different elements and you could call them subclassifications. One being things that Patty's already touched on, um, but I'm just going to reiterate those points. And that's basically down to just the fat mass disease itself. The fact that you are carrying extra mass because there's very clear effects related to that. You know, there's additional load that has to be taken by joints. It's not so clear in the research at the moment, like how much of the osteoarthritis risk associated with obesity is down to the additional load because it's difficult to reconcile that at times with the benefit of resistance training, for example. Um, but it is, this does still probably play a role. Um, and then you've also got things like immobility, for example, like that's just a harsh reality. If you're very, very obese um, and you, you know, haven't done a lot of training, for example, and as you age and you're losing muscle, if you've got a lot of extra body fat, it's more difficult to get around. You know, it's kind of, as simple as that, really, you know, if you're doing a lot of stairs and you're carrying more weight, you know, that's just more challenging for people. And then you've got tissue compression effects, you know, Patty mentioned previously, um, I think sleep apnea, you mentioned already, if you've got fat around your neck, for example, we'll, we'll come to that. We actually didn't mention that. Sorry, that was before the podcast we were talking about it. Um, but yeah, like there's tissue compression related effects that could, um, precipitate sleep apnea, um, other things like gastrointestinal reflux, maybe, um, increased or worsened, uh, by all of that extra body fat, you know, things like if, like if you're lying down and you're trying to breathe, like that's more of a challenge, high blood pressure as well, potentially, um, because there's increased resistance uh, to blood flow. And then basic things like tissue friction, you know, if someone's constantly dealing with friction in a given area, that's actually quite uncomfortable. Even bodybuilders complain of that a lot of the time, you know, when you, if you have big legs and you're going for a long walk and your legs are just chafing together, like that's quite uncomfortable. So that's all why I don't train my adductors. They're already yeah. touching <laughs> So all of, all of these things, when you put them together, would be what some authors have referred to as fat mass disease. So you're dealing with these different problems that are driven by the excess mass. But as we move beyond that, because I think that, that stuff's probably more intuitive, then we start to talk about the, basically the adiposopathy, our sick fat disease. Um, and that's basically where we start to discuss different sites of body fat. And I guess you could say different types of body fat. Um, as well. And that's where we start to talk about the problems that we've discussed in previous podcasts with uh, Richie, for example, and we mentioned them on our own podcasts, our, our own episodes, 
such as the elevated blood glucose that you see. So people have higher blood sugar, higher, higher risk of um, type 2 diabetes development because of the insulin resistance, uh, dyslipidemia, so things like um, higher or lower levels of HDL, remodeling of LDL particles, etc., and other metabolic complications. So all of these things are driven more so by the metabolic side of having the excess body fat. And that basically brings us to the question then of why does that actually happen? And I guess, like as we have mentioned previously, there is a difference between just straight up subcutaneous body fat that we you know, talk about when we look at the, the fat in our arms, for example, that's primarily subcutaneous. Um, and even around the abdomen, you've got subcutaneous adipose tissue, and then you've also got adipose tissue that's within the abdominal cavity around the organs. It can be on a specific organ, or it can be just kind of generally located in that area on a, a structure called the omentum. But you can have body fat basically anywhere. Um, and it's, I probably shouldn't call it body fat. I should just say adipose tissue. But you, for example, just to name a few sites, you've got epicardial and pericardial adipose tissue. So they're around the heart and some factors related to the storage of that body fat uh, may increase risk of things like coronary artery disease may be part of that pathology. So you can see that there's some effects there that might be local as well as systemic. And that's kind of the key thing as I go through all these sites, there's local and there's more systemic effects. We mentioned previously on the blood pressure episodes that there's also perirenal adipose tissue. So you can have adipose tissue that's located um, in and around the kidneys that can affect renal function and precipitate the development of high blood pressure. And um, so again, you can see, right, that it can be around the kidneys. Uh, it can be around the liver, which is a really important one. Um, adipose tissue um, around, around the liver or, or, or the deposition of triglycerides uh, within the liver. That's a really important contributor to cardiometabolic risk um, and increasing rates of things like uh, liver transplant these days as well, because effectively what happens is in the liver is when you get this buildup of adipose tissue over time, uh, you develop non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and this can progress then uh, to a more inflammatory state and eventually potentially uh, to, to a type of liver cancer as well. So, you know, these, these things are more than just the excess body fat that we complain about aesthetically. And that's also then related to the pancreas. Uh, the pancreas is something that's really important as we begin to discuss type two diabetes, um, and you can get the deposition of fat in the pancreas. And as, as we move on talking about other organs, it's kind of just a repetition of the same thing. It can be located in other areas, even around your blood vessels, for example, and really importantly as well in your muscles. Okay. So higher levels of what would be referred to as intramyocellular lipids or just lipids or, or, or fat within your muscles. So not necessarily just over your bicep when you pinch that but within the muscle itself, this is also a big part of the development of insulin resistance. Um, because basically, if you think about it, if you think about all those body fat stores, they are all storage locations. And the more we kind of pack them in with all this, uh, this fat, and we basically take up our different storage sites, this causes a lot of different metabolic complications. And of, co and of course, as I said, it can be anywhere um, on your body subcutaneously. And there are differences, as Paddy noted previously, um, sex differences, typically um, male body fat distribution is a little bit more uh, central, um, whereas female body fat distribution is generally going to be a bit more peripheral or gluteal femoral fat is a significant location. Obviously, the breasts are a significant location and putting body fat away in those areas 
um, is generally more benign than storing it all centrally and particularly viscerally around those organs. So that's just an introduction to, to some of the different places we can start to store that body fat. Yeah, I think we'll just go for the the, the female one because we just you kind of finished on it there. But yeah. obviously, there's there's a huge amount to dissect yeah, there. there yeah. But uh, with the the females, like this is actually really interesting because again, like you would traditionally see like oh bigger breasts and bigger bum, um, like they're more uh, sought after in society, for example, right? And this is actually an evolutionary adaptation, you know, because it's like those those things, you know, signal fertility um, in two ways. Obviously, if you have bigger breasts, you're you're, you're immediately thinking uh, in terms of oh, there's more milk for the child because humans are one of the only animals in the animal kingdom that maintain mammary glands, right? And what I mean like full mammary glands, like throughout, well, once you've you know you've you've gone through uh, puberty um whereas other animals are like they'll effectively like grow their mammary glands when they're pregnant and after pregnancy now obviously humans do that as well like um but we still well we don't uh, me and you gary well maybe you do gary um but we don't keep them for or sorry we do keep them for you know the life cycle right and whereas other you know animals don't right like cows i i even they don't like they do obviously still have others and stuff. Um, but they still change throughout a life cycle. But anyway, that's beside the point. But uh, it's actually quite interesting in terms of storage in, in the glutes, because again, it's a far more favorable place to actually the, the glutes, hamstrings, thighs, you know, it's a far more favorable place to store body fat, but also it is, if you look at the different types of body fat are stored there, not even just the different types of body fat, I should say, that's incorrect in saying that, but the different types of fatty acids that are stored there, like it's a lot more polyunsaturated fatty acids, which again, this is hypothesized to be beneficial for, you know, rearing children, right? And this is why you see uh, a lot of uh, women when they're pregnant, they always say like, oh, my, my glutes kind of disappeared, right? It wasn't your glutes, your actual glutes that disappeared. It was the fat stored on your glutes that disappeared, but that's, it was stored there for, you know, child rearing, you know, that's why it was stored there. And this is also why it's important in between having children, if you're going to have multiple children to get to a healthy weight and get back to a healthy position after you've had the first child or the next child or whatever. And just so you have those stores built up for the next child. Right. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's kind of interesting, but the, the main thing for this podcast and the audience here to, to think about from that is that, body fat stored in those areas while you as a female might be like, Oh, I don't like these little saddlebags I have on the side of my thighs. Like it's a far, far more metabolically and health in general uh, position to store that body fat rather than um, like, obviously, you know, rather than what males do, which is stored all centrally, especially, excuse me, in the context of high stress and high, you know, alcohol use as well. Like that's, that's a recipe for death, basically. Like it's not a good thing to be doing if you're a male and being high stressed and, you know, drinking alcohol, like that's, that's central adiposity central. Um, and that's, you know, metabolically not, no bueno. Right. Um, but just to kind of, before we get into some of the other areas, which I'm sure you have stuff to discuss on them. Um, I just wanted to kind of break it down for people just to kind of help think about it um, in terms of their head because like like you said Gary it's basically if you just go through any of the organs in your in your um, torso and you go mm, is body fat 
or is it okay or is it beneficial to store body fat on these organs? You can pretty much just make a blanket statement and say no, right? Now that's not completely true, I'm sure, but visceral fat or, you know, fat stored around these organs, it's not beneficial, right? Like even just from a space perspective, right? Like it's, there's only so much space you have within your, your torso, right? Um, and while we could definitely talk about certain organs about, oh, it's beneficial to have fat here. Like you could talk about like fat behind your eyeballs, right? Which just in case anyone is wondering, fat behind the eyeballs of like uh, deers or undulates or whatever, genuinely tastes like cookie dough. Um, now don't ask how I know that, but if you eat raw fat from behind the eyeball, genuinely tastes like cookie dough. Um, but like we could, we could talk about stuff like that in terms of, you know, oh, potentially in this context, you know, fat around this organ, in this case, the eyes, you know, it's beneficial. Like it has these different roles, like maybe it's padding, maybe it's whatever, but from a health perspective, it's a different type of fat, which, you know, is less beneficial than this subcutaneous fat, which this, we'll talk about the first one is kind of like visceral fat, which is, you know, inside the, the, the torso, we'll call it, right. Just to kind of put that there. The other one then we have is sub Q, which is like subcutaneous, which is, you know, like the, if you just pinch off some of your skin there, you know, it's like that that's, it's stored between, we'll say the muscle and the skin. If you want to kind of just quickly visualize it, it's like, it's in between those areas. But then you also have this kind of like ectopic, which Gary was touching on there earlier on, you know, you, you see it referred to as different things, depending on what literature you read, but like, this is kind of like your intramuscular stuff or intra in between these these organs or whatever and in terms of the intramuscular stuff i always visualize it as like you know that kind of kobe steak you know where it's like literally just heavily marbled like this fat through the whole like cross-section of the muscle right and um, and this is also just from a more we'll call a practical standpoint while you see people they're like oh yeah i got up to like 30 percent body fat but man i was jacked like i had so much muscle and it's like no like it just looked like you had 20 inch arms because you had so much fat stored in between those muscles. And they're like, every time I diet, like I just lose so much muscle. And it's like, you don't lose muscle. You're actually just losing fat. That fat just happened to be stored in a really unfavorable, like metabolically speaking position, which is in between your muscles. Um, and yeah, it might look like, oh yeah, man, I got these 20 inch arms. But in reality, it's, it's fat in between the muscle, right? Which is not beneficial at all from a variety of, perspectives but then there's some interesting which you might not think of uh, fat stores in, in terms of the body like those those are the ones that most people talk about they're like visceral sub q and ectopic right but there are other ones in terms of like for example bone marrow right and if you've ever eaten bone marrow it fucking tastes delicious first of all right um you, you would you say delicious you just kind of cut out there for a second like, yep i just said delicious That's absolutely it. fucking delicious right um, kind of coats the top of your mouth because it's a different types of fat, different types of fatty acids and obviously there's proteins in there as well but anyway look we're getting off off point here i'm fucking salivating right if, if anyone is genuinely interested in the best recipe ever just fucking look up bone marrow pemmican oh mm. anyway um yeah like bone marrow is an interesting one because it actually like bone marrow the fat stored there it actually goes up when you're under restriction or dieting, like you see in people that are like anorexic, for example, they actually have more stored uh, fat in bone marrow, which is actually really interesting from the perspective of, you know, if you're interested in body fat overall, or like adipocytes or fucking whatever fats, if you're just interested in fat. Um, but that's also one of the ones that it's like, this is not an unhealthy fat storage position. Um, but it is actually 
quite interesting in that it, it has this distinguishing feature first of all of tasting fucking great um but then also it, like it actually goes up and it's actually interesting in terms of thinking about bone marrow because that's what they say historically speaking how humans developed such large brains right because we had opposable thumbs and once we mastered fire that allowed two things first of all the opposable thumbs and fire mastery it allowed two things first of all it allowed us to get access to that high calorie dense food in terms of bone marrow because you know some other animal would kill uh whatever right and unless it's a hyena which hyenas have a bite force that could like break a femur even they could break any bone um if it's like a lion or you know any other animal and um, wolves whatever like you would still as a human be able to get that femur or whatever bone it is put it over fire crack that bone apart and then you'd be able to effectively suck out the bone marrow from within it right and that's because we have mastery over fire and obviously we have opposable thumbs and you can pick up a rock and just smash that bone open right and um, so that's interesting on top of that we also then had access to brains because like most animals don't eat the actual skull of uh you know any animal that they kill and as a result like you actually still have the brain tissue in the brain so if you have a mastery of you know, opposable thumbs and you can pick up a rock and smash that skull in and get access to the brain. Happy days. Now, me personally, you'll never find me eating brains because of prion disease because I'm scared of them. But um, apparently it's it's great nutrition, right? Um, and obviously that's one of the ways that we also get DHA and all that because that there's a high prevalence of that in the brain, which then leads to bigger brains in subsequent generations. Like if you have these brain-eating monkeys, like... They're effectively getting all the nutrients needed to grow bigger brains, you know? But anyway, that's we're getting way off topic here. Um, bone marrow, yes. As we said earlier on, boobs and ass. Like, they're, that's... Well, I'm going to call that distinctly different than visceral sub-Q, uh, even though, obviously, it is somewhat sub-Q uh, in terms of, like, the, the, the hips, the ass area. Um, but breast tissue is definitely different than sub-Q. And it's almost ectopic because it is like you know on the, the gland of that mammary gland effectively right like so it's a, it's a bit of a weird one but in in the context of this conversation it's not leading to ill health um and yeah they're the kind of ones that i kind of think of in my mind i'm like visceral sub q ectopic bone marrow and then effectively female fat <laughs> yeah and i think t- to then understand uh, visceral adiposity or the deposition of fat around these organs that we're discussing, um, particularly the liver is one of huge interest, um, as well as the pancreas. The others are still important, but they're really important. Uh, you actually have to understand, again, coming back to what we said at the beginning, the cellular reality um, of adipose tissue. The fact that these are cells that will expand to a certain degree as you begin to fill them up with lipids, okay? Before and, you get on to this, because I know what you're going to get on to, do you want to just discuss the difference between white adipose tissue, beige adipose tissue, and brown adipose tissue? Because obviously this is relevant in terms of the, the metabolic stuff as well. Yeah, go ahead, boy. Right, so white adipose tissue is what we basically described at the start of this podcast, which was that fat cell with this small amount of, we'll say, cellular machinery in terms of like, nucleus mitochondria etc right that's white adipose tissue right and that's that's realistically all you need to actually think about uh, if you're a human right and because while there is brown adipose tissue um 
and there is beige adipose tissue, right? Beige is kind of in between white adipose and brown adipose, which I'll come to in a second what that is. Um, well, there is a difference in, in terms of that, like humans just don't have a huge amount of brown adipose tissue or even beige adipose tissue, right? Like they do have some, but it's less relevant. It's more relevant for other animals um, that need more of this thermoregulatory effect of body fat, like we were discussing at the very start of this podcast. Now, we do still find some level of brown uh, fat in, in humans, and that's mainly in like the kind of upper back area here that's generally where it's hypothesized anyway to be for individuals um, and i'm sure like if you went into studies you could find like oh well you seem to have more of it on your fucking kneecaps or some random fucking place right um but humans don't have a lot of it so a lot of the studies that were done on it were in like rodents which are obviously not a perfect model for humans like yeah they have their role to play in terms of understanding this stuff but it's not a perfect model, right? And you might be thinking like, what's the difference between white adipose tissue and brown adipose tissue? And realistically, if you boil it down, like there is like different in terms of like cellular environment, cell signaling, et cetera. But the main difference is the presence of more mitochondria in that adipose tissue or that adipose cell. So if you were thinking in terms of that adipose cell, that white adipose cell that we discussed earlier on, which is just this little tiny bit in the corner, um, of like you know cellular machinery like brown adipose tissue has more mitochondria in it and as a result it is warmer right because these this, this cell is doing you know what cells do which is you know energy shit um and effectively it's uh, you know losing some heat to the environment as a result the more mitochondria you have the more energy stuff is going on and as a result the more heat loss to the environment you're getting which again you could be thinking in terms of again thinking back to the start of the podcast when we're talking about it has a thermoregulatory effect like if you are living in a colder environment you're probably going to upregulate some of this brown adipose tissue right and your body's going to do that because it wants to you know get warmer right and you'll see this as well especially in like rodent models or whatever like when they expose these rodents to colder temperatures they find more prevalence of brown adipose tissue and versus white adipose tissue however like it's just not as relevant for humans but i think it's a good point to just bring up here before we talk about the the rest of this stuff in terms of that actual fat in terms of like what can happen with like hypertrophy or hyperplasia of fat cells and different things and it's just important to know that first of all the different storage sites of this adipose tissue is important but the adipose tissue itself can change like it's actually different itself but the adipocytes themselves are different in terms of you can have more mitochondria etc and obviously as we discussed at the very start as well like you can have differences in terms of the fatty acid composition of the like the fats stored in that cell and which Again, we talked earlier on about the, the context of um, the cold influencing that, um, but also your diet influences it. Like if all you eat is saturated fat, like the fatty acids that you have in your diet are saturated fats. So you're going to have a higher prevalence of saturated fats stored. Now, your body will still make whatever the fuck it needs, right? You're still going to have monounsaturated fats. You're not going to have as much polyunsaturated fats as you need because your body can't make them. Um, but this is a little bit more relevant for something like trans fatty acids. Like if you have far more trans fatty acids in, in, in the diet, which, you know, you, you, you struggle these days in the Western world to have that. 
But if you were to have these trans fatty acids in your diet, like in high proportions, your fat, the actual like texture of your fat, you would actually feel it. Like these fat cells would be um, stiffer, right? You know, and this is the case also with saturated fat, but more so with a case with the, the kind of trans fats as well. Like, again, just, it's just basic stereochemistry um, in terms of like, you have to account for the shape of these molecules and how they're then packed. And because like these saturated fats and these trans uh, fatty acids, like they're, they're far easier to pack tightly together. Um, and as a result, like you can effectively store more saturated fat, for example, in your fat cells. And as a result, they can be stiffer. And you'll feel that in terms of like your fat will actually be, you know, more compact, more hard, whatever. Um, but that's just, it's, it's interesting to think about that. The, the fat cells themselves can differ. They can also differ in terms of the fatty acids that they're you know, stored, but they can also differ in terms of the, the overall environment they're in, depending on where they are actually stored then as well. Like it, it's fascinating stuff. <clears throat> it is fascinating stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, w- w- with that said, um, one of the things that I think is worth like pondering when you, when you ask the question, uh, or when, you, when you're thinking about fat gain, for example, is do you actually want more fat cells? Like, do you want more or do you want less fat cells? And the answer is kind of counterintuitive because I think like if you're th- someone who's into fitness and you're into being lean, you would assume that I want to have as little fat cells as possible because then, you know, I won't be as fat. When in fact, like, it seems like uh, according to like what would be referred to as the expansibility hypothesis, the more capacity you actually have to get fat, is actually better for health. <laughs> now that doesn't sound intuitive, but what it, you can essentially think of it like, you know, if you've got if you've got a, a glass and that glass is smaller and you keep filling up that glass, then spillover is going to happen sooner. And basically, what happens with body fat is that once you kind of get to um, the point of being an adult, there's basically not much of an increase in your fat cell number um, after that point. There is turnover um, of fat cells, and that's potentially an avenue uh, for drug development and stuff to, to influence that process, to increase fat cell number, for example. Um, but more or less, it seems like there's not much of a change in fat cell number. Um, and one of the things that's interesting to consider here is that we talked previously about metabolically healthy obesity and it seems like one of the differences between metabolically healthy obesity and metabolically unhealthy obesity is that those who have a more metabolically healthy phenotype that they actually have more fat cells and this is basically comes down to the fact that if you've got less fat cells and you've got reduced potential to keep expanding those cells then eventually they fill up to the point where we basically get lipid spillover and if you've got this spillover um, where you're not really able to um, keep packaging away these lipids and there's a greater propensity for these lipids to be released. Um, so there's more lipolysis. Again, it all sounds like a good thing if you're just looking at it through a, a fat loss lens. Uh, but what actually ends up happening is that if you've got all these free fatty acids floating around in the blood and they're being deposited in the liver, in the pancreas, etc., this is all part of the development of insulin resistance, which is something that's really, really, really important to just emphasize because a lot of people, particularly if you just read like a basic Wikipedia definition of diabetes and insulin resistance, they 
take a very much a strict view where you basically just think of it as glucose in, glucose out. And to some degree, like that is obviously part of the problem with diabetes is that there is too much glucose around, but it's actually all integrated with fat metabolism. And it's really important to, to remember that. Um, because if you were to think of diabetes as being solely a, you know, a case of just glucose, then it would be as simple as just eat less glucose and solve diabetes. But yeah, go, go on a ketogenic diet, you're sorted, yeah. but it's not true. Exactly. And in some cases, like in some cases, for example, like, like low carb diets can be great for like managing blood glucose, but it doesn't necessarily address um, the root cause, which is kind of ironic because a lot of the people who are proponents of low carb diets claim they're treating the root cause. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is that like uh, saturated fat content, for example, if you're, if you eat a lot of saturated fat, then it actually increases um, liver fat um, extensively, like more than any other um, nutrient that you'd be getting in your diet, provided you're overfeeding. And that's kind of a key point. Um, and this basically comes down to um, driving, uh, driving up lipolysis, making more fatty acids available, and then those being deposited um, in the liver, along with other effects. But basically, if and that's just, just on top of that, that literally yeah. just goes back to what I was saying earlier on in terms of stereochemistry, like saturated fats are easier to store because just imagine you're like, it's literally the difference between picking up a barbell or picking up like an Atlas stone, right? Like the barbell is easy to pick up because, you know, it has a defined shape, you know, whereas if you're trying to pick up like an Atlas stone, although it has a defined shape, like it's this awkward shape to try to get around, you know, and it's the same with your body. Like obviously we're, uh, anthropomorphizing this uh you know thing but it is effectively the same it's like your body is just looking at this saturated fat going like huh a nice little straight boy this is easy to store whereas it has this fucking polyunsaturated like fucking wavy boy it's like the liver is not the liver is looking at that going like i don't want to store that i can fuck off somewhere else that's a nice way to remember it there guys um but yeah so so basically like um that that comes back to the example that I was discussing with, with lipodystrophy, for example, because if you've got someone who's got um, no fat cells at all, you basically get these complications of having no potential for fat cell expansion um, pretty much immediately. And as a result, you get that severe insulin resistance without any body fat. Um, and basically also- one cheeseburger away from fucking death. <laughs> yeah. And then you also get that that deposition of fat uh, within the pancreas and you get a loss of beta cell function and beta cells are basically the cells of the pancreas that release insulin. So basically you're moving along the path um, to diabetes. So it is just really important to emphasize that point that having fat cells that actually have the potential to store more fat is a good thing. It's actually what you want if you want to be metabolically healthy. Now I know some bodybuilders out there might be like, man, I don't care. I'd rather have lipodystrophy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have diabetes and be absolutely shredded to the bone but um it's it's probably not what you want it's probably also not the best environment um for muscle building but coming back to what we said at the start as well i think we're, we're trying to discuss you know what is body fat and understanding that these cells like much like all the all the other cells in your body they also have an extracellular matrix so like if you've ever kind of gone a little bit deeper than just the typical diagram of the cell, you'll see that there's lots of different connective tissue proteins that make up um, cell structure to varying degrees um, in different cells. Um, And that's basically what gives different cells their shape. Um, It's one of the factors. And one of the things that can happen as you begin to fill up the fat cell and fill it up and fill it up, um, it's basically like you fit, you're filling up a balloon. Um, when, you, when you blow up a balloon and you blow it up to the point where it's just about to pop, 
it's much harder at the surface. And that's how I would remember it because that's what happens. You begin to get this remodeling of the extracellular matrix and you get basically fibrosis of the fat cell changes in the type of collagen that's there. And that restricts then the expansion of that fat cell. So if you get to the point where all of your fat cells, for example, have no more potential to expand, then that's when we start to get all of that lipid spillover. And this is really important because obviously that's what uh, permits uh, more deposition of that then into your muscles, into your liver, into your pancreas, etc. And one of the things that's been really interesting over the last decade or so um, has been basically the Kind of the emergence and uh, proof uh, in, in some sense, not, not, a, not a strict scientific proof, um, but some validation of the twin cycles hypothesis of, di of type 2 diabetes. Because previously, like diabetes was type 2 diabetes was basically thought to be kind of an irreversible state. Because if you're not familiar with it, effectively what happens is you basically progress along the spectrum of insulin resistance and high blood glucose to the point where eventually your beta cells, those cells in the pancreas, they basically just kind of fail more or less and that that's irreversible. But what actually, what is, what, what has basically been discovered and shown in, in multiple trials is that what seems to be the case is that as people get to this point where they reach their personal fat threshold, so you get to the point where you can no longer um, store fat effectively, all this slippage spillover gets deposited, deposited in the liver, eventually in the pancreas. And this basically then um, you're presented with this, this case of, of insulin resistance and compromised uh, beta cell function in the pancreas. And if you can basically lose enough weight and you can lose weight effectively through very low calorie diets, for example, that beta cell function can actually be restored. Um, and that's basically um, in line with um, or correlated with uh, the loss of that visceral adipose tissue around the, or around the, the pancreas and in the liver. So like that's fairly groundbreaking stuff because it actually makes um, diabetes look like a really simple problem. Now it's not a simple problem because that obviously, as you'll be aware, it's not easy uh, to lose weight and it's not easy to adhere to yes, a very low calorie in, diet. In theory, easy, but in practice. <laughs> yeah, simple, right. but not easy, you know? And that's, um, that's what that, you might have heard that recently if you're, especially from Britain, where the NHS was on that 800 yeah. calorie shake or whatever it was. And the fitness industry was like, oh, this, Freaking is, out. <laughs> oh, this is awful. But it's like, like, if you dig a little bit deeper in terms of what they're actually trying to do, it's like, again, fascinating stuff. Yeah, and that is, that is important to understand, you know, because I think that it, obviously in the fitness industry, we've basically kind of all adopted this kind of homogenous mindset of slow, sustainable dieting and lifestyle change is what's always best. But when you look at this research and you actually read those trials, it's like, well, these people lost weight really fast. They reversed, they reversed some aspects of diabetes or put it into remission, depending on who you talk to. And like, that's pretty brilliant, you know? And I think that there's, there's obviously great potential there because you're not just talking about someone who wants to lose body fat for the sake of it, but you're talking about someone who's engaging in a clinical intervention. You're not doing this in your own. You're not doing this with a trainer for the purpose of potentially um, re reversing a disease state, um, which could take years off that person's life. So potentially fucking changing your life. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's different motivational factors going on there as well. Um, so, yeah. So overall, I think that like, it's kind of, it kind of, it kind of seems pretty elegant. I think when you describe it all, it's like, okay, basically most of the metabolic complications of obesity seem to be down to the fact of, or you get to the point where you can't really get much fatter. Um, the normal uh, storage 
of the food that you're taking in, the excess calories, um, the, the storage of fat, that gets disrupted, there's spillover, it compromises um, the normal function of other organs, and that leads to various disease processes. And that's like your 10 second elevator pitch of why excess body fat um, may in some cases uh, not be great for health. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly easy to understand. Well, let's just, again, I'm just going to do a quick recap as well. I know you just did. But basically, again, you have these fat cells. If you have a definitive number of them, let's say 50, right? And you have stored all you can store in them. Those, the fat that you need to store, you're in a calorie surplus, right? So there's there's more, it's, your body's saying, I, I need to store this, right? Can't store it in the fat cells. You have two options there. Either you have this hyperplasia going on, which is, you know, effectively the creation of new fat cells. Well, it's the creation of new cells. Um, and as you were saying earlier on, Gary, it's like that doesn't really seem to be a huge thing after puberty either way in terms of losing it. Like you don't really lose fat cells and as far as i'm aware like you can still create new fat cells as you age but obviously there is a defined limit like you can only put so many fat cells on your body and once you've filled up everything right again maybe this is for you we talked about the goldilocks zone earlier on as well but maybe for you it's like you can store 40 extra kilos of body fat before you get to this stage maybe i can store 50 but whatever it is there's a there's a point where it's like you know there's no fucking room at the inn. Go out and have that kid in the manger, you know? Um, so these fatty acids are like, right, I'm going to go somewhere. I need to be stored, right? And as we touched on earlier on, and this is why we touched on it, you have these other areas where you can store it and some of them are less beneficial than others. And one of those less beneficial ones is this ectopic or this like intramuscular or this intra-organ or fucking whatever. And especially in the case of the the pancreas, like Gary was touching on there, like it is obviously still relevant for all the other ones. Like again, this 800 calorie NHS uh, diabetes or type two diabetes diet is affecting all these other things potentially beneficially as well. But obviously they're focusing more on the pancreas. And I always think of it like, because again, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I am in fact stupid and I need to think in things in terms of analogies. I always think of it like, you're trying to get out of your house and there's someone on the road, so you can't get out of your house. So your pancreas is like, I want to secrete the stuff that I need to secrete, but I cannot get out of my house because there's this big fat cell, well, this stored fat here in the way of me working, secreting this stuff, right? So if you're on this 800 calorie diet, you lose a load of fat and all of a sudden the roads are clear, you can get out of your house and go and do your job. You know, and that's how I think of it. Now, again, like Ari said, maybe you want to think of this in terms of the health and fitness industry, and you're thinking slow and steady is great. That's what we want to do. Um, but again, we have to think of the, the the context of that and who we're actually talking to and what the situation is. You know, especially in the context of other stuff that goes on uh, related to that. In in terms of this slow and steady approach, might not be good for you because these really high blood blood glucose levels that you have might be giving you some sort of fucking peripheral neuropathy at the moment because, you know, they've been unchecked for the last fucking five, 10 years and you need to get a fucking intervention now to hopefully not lose your fucking foot, you know, Um, or feeling in your foot or whatever, you know? So it's like this, this is important stuff. Um, And, you know, faster might be better in that case. Um, do you have anything else to say on that? Because I just have a few, one or two things that I want to just touch on because we kind of touched on them, but just didn't fully wrap it up. Yeah, I suppose just to kind of re-emphasize one point, because I know this is something that actually does come up. Because people wonder, well, how to know like if 
that if my, you know, if someone has a big waist, for example, like, how do I know, like, is the fat outside? Is it subcutaneous or is it inside and covering my organs? And I think just, just noting that there is this sort of spectrum where, you know, when we say subcutaneous adipose tissue, if that, if that adipose tissue is subcutaneous, so it's just beneath the skin, but it's still around the abdomen, it is still more, um, you know, metabolically unhealthful than that same adipose tissue being on your thighs, for example. Um, so there's basically that kind of spectrum of like best case scenario is you have basically have mostly subcutaneous tissue that's around the gluteal femoral region. Great. If you've got, you know, subcutaneous tissue that's um, distributed evenly across your body or even mainly um, around your stomach, but you still don't really have any um, underneath there around your organs, that's a, a kind of a middle ground situation. And the worst case scenario is that basically you've just got a propensity to de deposit lots and lots of adipose tissue um, around your organs. And that's really where thing, things start to become compromised. So I think that that's just, it's just really important to keep that in your mind when you're thinking about obesity, because obviously this does um, illuminate some of the issues with BMI that we talked about um, with Richie previously, because very clearly on the individual level, we do have variation. And I think just to kind of close off that point before we move on, there is one interesting example that, that kind of brings brought it home for me. And that's like, there's a, there's a class of drugs um, called TZDs or thiazolidinodiones. Thiazolidinodiones. And basically one of their mechanisms that's related to what I just discussed is that they can increase um, fat cell uh, differentiation. So it would basically be like a hyperplastic effect. So um, hyperplasia being an increase in cell number, which is what we said might be desirable, but is somewhat less achievable as we age. Um, and hypertrophy being less good uh, because basically that's the increase in the fat cell size. And yeah, it's basically in terms of fat, it's the exact opposite of what you want with muscle. Like muscles, <laughs> it's like you want them fucking bigger, right? And fuck, if you can get more of them, great, right? Whereas with fat, it's like, yeah, like maybe we want some hyperplasia. We want to have enough fat cells. We don't want to have too much now, obviously. And we definitely don't want them to be getting bigger over time. Yeah, so, so that class of drugs, which they're basically the, the glitazone, there's various prefixes, they're PPAR gamma agonists. And that's something that is associated with a more healthful um, adipose tissue uh, phenotype. And basically what happens with those drugs is that you actually get an increase in body weight. So you actually get weight gain, but you also get significant increases in insulin sensitivity. And that's something that's really important to get because it's not as simple as more body fat equals uh, more insulin resistance because basically what they do is they markedly reduce uh, liver fat. And so basically that, that, that for me just like just brings it home in terms of saying that, all right, it's not just a case of more body fat, it's where is that body fat? That's, that's really the important question. So that still doesn't mean we're throwing BMI out because population level does the job. But on the individual level, especially I think for bodybuilders, you have to ask where your body fat is because there are some cases where, you know, as you know, Paddy, bodybuilders will like bulk up and they have this big, massive, like 42 inch waist or something. And it's like, like, that's just not a healthful state at all. There's also just bringing bodybuilders into the, the fucking limelight. There's actually loads of drugs as well, which I probably wouldn't recommend um, that do actually have similar effects because they work through that PPO or gamma um, as well. I'm not going to name them because people go, oh yeah, like this, we'll go for this one. Um, but a lot of them are also associated with cancer. But anyway, look, that's... Yeah, there's, there's significant side effects as well to TZDs. I'm not saying that you yeah. should go and use them, by the way. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. Um, again, very fascinating stuff if you're inter interested in this stuff. But I want to just 
finally wrap up two things which we mentioned earlier on in terms of different uh, positions for body fat you just mentioned it even though we actually did discuss it before the podcast um, and that is fat around your neck area is associated with all-cause mortality and this is potentially mediated through increased risk of sleep apnea as we discussed before on the, the sleep podcast i believe um but basically like you've more fat around your neck like you effectively get sleep apnea like it's it's pretty obvious you can also have fat stored around your actual like breathing tubes like it doesn't it's not beneficial right um so that's i just wanted to say that because again while we can talk about uh, visceral fat and that always gets the limelight upper back fat and neck fat is just as um negative however they tend to go hand in hand right like most people don't just store all their body fat on the upper back neck area and have this shredded midsection right like that's that's generally not what happens right and um, but i did want to bring that up because it is something that is associated with all cause mortality it's an increased risk of mortality so if you notice you're like oh yeah i can still kind of see my abs but you've noticed that your neck has gone up from whatever 15 inches to 17 inches like unless you're on fucking drugs and been doing a fucking significant amount of neck training if it's fat i would probably be uh, a little bit more cautious and i would uh you know, think a little bit more about losing some of that weight. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to touch on, like this is, we've obviously just touched on it repeatedly throughout this and we've touched on it on other podcasts as well. And this is the fact that the more body fat you have, the more insulin resistant you are, right? And I'm sure we could actually easily do a full podcast on insulin resistance itself. Yeah. Um, but effectively, it's, it's a no bueno environment. It's, it's not good. Like it's, again, insulin resistance is associated with, all kinds of mortality rate because like it, it, it affects all these other, like it peripherally affects um, all these other pathologies and puts you in a negative position to be able to deal with them. Right. And, um, and that goes from like heart disease to fucking cancer, right? Like it's not, it's not beneficial. Right. And obviously the more body fat you have, the more insulin resistant you are, because again, like we talked earlier on with that leptin resistance, this is the same kind of thing. Like, your body just goes, right, you keep sending me this insulin signal to store stuff, but my stores are full. So I'm just going to start ignoring this signal, right? Um, and just from a purely, like we'll call it aesthetic point of view, that's obviously not beneficial from a building muscle perspective. Um, but it's definitely not beneficial from an overall health perspective. And it is something that we would like to avoid if possible right um and there's more to it we probably will actually just do a a full podcast on insulin resistance um or if we haven't already can't really remember um but again it's it's not a it's not a good thing to have and it's directly proportional to the amount of body fat you have that's not to say that it's directly proportional to the amount of time you've had that body fat like this is again goes back to that kind of metabolically healthy obesity um you could have higher levels of body fat, but not be insulin resistant just yet. But that's not to say that you won't go on to become insulin resistant in the future. Yeah. And I mean like that, that is an area that I think, we, I think I mentioned it in the podcast with Richie, where there is some controversy because like, if you're basically go by just the strict cutoffs for like type two diabetes presence, for example, which is basically the other end of insulin resistance, then metabolically healthy obesity uh, seems to be more prevalent. But if you use stricter definitions of insulin resistance, um, the numbers of people that will be classified as metabolically healthy obesity um, decrease significantly. So as you say, 
it is one of those things that's very much strongly related um, to obesity. Um, and again, coming back to everything we've discussed in this podcast, it does, of course, depend on um, one's individual you know, fat cell number and, and, and fatty, body fat distribution, etc. cetera. Um, but the, thing, the other thing with that as well is that like, it's, not like there's, it's not like there's a high likelihood that as you get to 35, 40, 45 BMI, that all of your adipose tissue is just going to stay subcutaneous and not go anywhere else either. Um, so, you know, don't assume that you're the, the one case <laughs> um, that that's going to be the exception either. Um, and so, that, yeah. like, it basically goes back to, like we were saying in that podcast with Richie, like an easy one just to add on to that BMI is just waist circumference, right? Because it, it just easily lets you know if you're gaining weight or gaining inches on your waist and your BMI is increasing or you're already in a high category BMI, then, you know, we can pretty much presume that, yeah, while some of this might be subcutaneous around your waist, like I can pretty much bet that some of it is actual visceral fat. And also just because it's subcutaneous and around your waist, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily beneficial. Like we said earlier on, basically fat on your abdominal cavity, it's not, it's not good. Right. And it, like, it's, it's not, not beneficial. Right. Well, I, I should say it is beneficial in some circumstances. For example, like, again, going back to the female example, we'll just touch on females a bit more. And um, going back to the female example, like it is actually more beneficial for females to store some body fat around their ovaries. Because again, that's, it's just uh, evolutionary, like reproduction, like women are more important than men in that regard. And this is why you see women have like a small bit of fat, you know, kind of below their belly button area. Like again, just before, like around the reproductive organs um, and obviously like the womb, et cetera. Like it makes sense to have some fat stored there, right? From, from a fucking fertility perspective, right? Even though you might, the woman, a female might be like, oh, uh, I don't like wearing stuff that isn't like a high-waisted jeans or whatever because, you know, I get my little fupa and it, I don't like it. And, you know, it's like, okay, cool. But like, that's, that's what's going to let you have a kid in the future. So, you know, like you know, pay it the respect it needs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, females just overall, basically you can get away with so much more because first of all, you have a favorable fat patterning, you know, some of the different adaptations that occur with higher levels of body fat, such as, you know, increases in aromatase, like you just don't have them. You also have differences in terms of how you adapt overall to overfeeding and um, like there's just there's just huge differences which again we could do a whole podcast on that and maybe we will do a fucking female focused series and i know we've done previously done stuff like that but you know we've hundreds of new followers so perhaps you know they're not going to go back and listen to all those podcasts and we can definitely do it better this time um but uh yeah like females basically just have it so much more beneficial when it comes to body fat and um, so you might look at your your significant other as a male um or sorry as a female looking at your significant other and be like oh they have it so lucky like he can stay so lean and you know whatever just think again going back to the kind of like testosterone to estrogen thing in terms of like the uh the uh the strength of that estrogen versus the strength of that testosterone like you can gain way more fat first of all, probably still look good. Whereas if like a guy gains fat, it's pretty much all central and it's, you know, those abs are gone straight away. <laughs> um, but also every single gram of fat you gain versus every single gram of fat that he gains, unless you're both insulin resistant and you're in a bad place already, like he's getting the worst deal, right? So you're probably going to survive longer. So just saying you're in a better position. 
Yep, and males are less likely to care about their health as well. So, I mean, there you go. Yes, most men are degenerates, like you, Gary. <laughs> like me. Um, but yeah, let's just, just let me finish, because it wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't mention this. And, that is, and this also goes along with actually um, just like, like us being generally in favor of also like weight neutral approaches, if that's what people need. Like, I think that's one of the things you want to get across in this obesity series. Like, I'm definitely not positioning myself as someone who is uh, like, oh, just love your body. It doesn't matter what weight you are once you're happy or whatever. Like, I think that's silly and not actually helpful for people. And doesn't. yeah, and if you go back and listen to the episode I did with Shannon, like, this is like we were talking about health at every size versus healthy at every size, and there is yeah. a clear you know difference between those two things yeah but 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 even even though we're not necessarily uh, putting forward that message we are still very much in favor of the promotion of health at every size in the in the sense that like not the brand because like that can that's its own thing i mean like that people can pursue approaches to health in a weight neutral manner so if someone is not for whatever reason in a position where they're they want to commit to deliberate weight loss or anything like this is why we recommend exercise for literally everyone. Because one of the really cool things is that you can actually reduce um, visceral adiposity uh, without actually, you know, modifying your calorie intake. So you don't have to like lose overall uh, body weight or you don't have to um, massively change your calories or anything like that in order to start like moving the needle on this simply increasing your exercise uh, can actually help and it does seem like aerobic exercise is probably a bit more um helpful which isn't really surprising but at the same time there's not really um as much research on resistance training uh, either and you know it could be the case that if you're already resistance trained enough that you can do really high volumes of resistance training like maybe that have, might have more of an effect i think that would make sense um but in general we recommend that people do both aerobic and resistance training um, anyway so like whether or not uh, you are interested in weight loss at this point, uh, exercising um, to significant volumes is a pretty good idea for managing all this stuff. Because obviously it's not just related to um, the effect on visceral adipose tissue. Like I'm not, I don't want anyone to go into an exercise program just thinking, right, I'm here in the gym today because I want to reduce um, intrahepatic triglycerides like that like that's just spot that, reduction to that, the fucking... yeah that, that's spot reduction right there um r- rather like you have to appreciate all of the other benefits of exercise obviously and the fact that if we are talking about these metabolic concerns that exercise also has effects on things like um, insulin sensitivity and blood glucose etc that go very much beyond and um, just solely uh, the effect on, on visceral fat. So. And just even stuff like we were talking about the inflammatory environment, like yeah. it actually allows you to like handle that environment better, right? So yeah, like, ex- like we'll, we'll do a podcast in terms of how to treat obesity from like a fitness professional standpoint in terms of like what to do with exercise, what to do with nutrition. And um, not that we're obesity doctors who are the only ones that can actually treat obesity but you know what i'm talking about in terms of like treating obesity yeah. or this overweight obese kind of phenotype and um, like what can we do like we'll, we'll do a whole podcast on that to kind of wrap up this series i think um but yeah i think as you said like just engaging in healthful behaviors is you know it's never a a bad thing and if you've been listening to this whole series you'll know that we touched on so much more than just oh your calories in calories out lose all the fat possible like 
it's a lot more nuanced than that. And that's why we wanted to do this entire series because I know a lot of personal trainers, nutritionists, that kind of thing, uh, listen to the podcast. And if we can then help those individuals frame this better in their mind in terms of how to think about this, like, yeah, you need to learn all the stuff um, about, you know, body fat or obesity or whatever. Um, but if you're actually trying to help individuals, you need to actually layer on the, the human context. That's why we've been covering all the like socioeconomic stuff and you know stuff like that. And um, because again, it's, it's much more in depth than just, Oh, uh, body fat secretes. Like you could read a paper. Like I was reading a paper earlier on about like all of the different things that, you know, body fat secretes, like adipose tissue secretes. It's like, Oh, you've got TNF alpha and fucking all this sort of stuff. And you're like, like, yeah, this is interesting to know. And from our perspective, like I know that both of us really enjoy that stuff, like reading about that. But if you're actually talking about you helping yourself with obesity or you know, just being overweight or you helping others with obesity or being overweight, like that stuff is a little bit less relevant to know. Um, and what you need to know is first of all, like what you should be doing, which again, we'll do a podcast on that. Um, but then also how to actually talk to the individual in front of you and listen to their concerns and then listen to all the stuff that's going on, like actually take into account all of that stuff and then come up with an approach that's best suited for them. And again, like you said, Gary, that might actually be a weight neutral approach from the start, right? Even though we're saying like, we're going to treat or whatever you want to call it, obesity, like the actual treatment might be let's not actually focus on your weight. Let's just get you engaging in these healthful habits. You don't get enough steps per day. Let's see if we can do something about that. You're at 1000 per day. Let's see if we can bump that up to 1500. Let's pick manageable goals, right? You're not exercising at all in terms of like formalized exercise. Let's get something going there. Your nutrition is like this. Let's see if we can move it towards this, you know, like there's some basic healthful habits you can do and that will profoundly impact your overall health and down the line and almost immediately um, and as gary said like we're we're pretty much uh, zealots for exercise i'm like it, it's very rare that you would find a population that wouldn't exercise like even like in that example earlier on of that uh lipid dystrophy um what's it fucking called lipodystrophy yeah lipodystrophy um i'm like exercise is the thing that literally keeps these people alive because if they didn't move around these lipids, they're not going to beneficial fucking places, <laughs> you know? And so they effectively have to burn them off. And you also see this oftentimes like people that have lipodystrophy tend to also exercise because, you know, it's, it's a, it's an issue that is potentially life-threatening or, you know, and so the ones who survive for long periods of time with this are the ones that are managing this either intentionally or unintentionally like i remember listening to a case of someone uh, a female saw another female runner who was like shredded and as she herself had lipodystrophy recognized that this other woman had lipodystrophy and got in contact with her and effectively told her like i think she was like olympic level sprinter or something like that like proper like high level that's why she saw her on the news or something and she was like that's what i have you know um and got in contact with her and i believe she was in a a shopping center about to get a burger um but yeah like so, stuff like that i'm like it's it's actually interesting and uh, human the human experience of all the stuff that we're we're actually discussing here and um, but also in terms of like you don't even know what you have or what's going on under the hood um, and exercise always seems to save people just saying yep 
exercise wins, man. Unless you're out like running on the dark roads in Kilcommon with no uh, high vis vest on, and some farmer comes around the corner after a few points, and then you know you get flattened. But hopefully that won't happen to you this year. No, that's what happens in the country, isn't it? Yep, that's what happens. Anyway, I have literally nothing else. Well, I have actually hundreds of other things I could say, but yeah. the podcast has been going on long enough. So where can people find us? How can they engage with our services, etc. Gary? Yes. So as always, uh, you can join the Triage Method Coaches Corner if you are a coach and you'd like to um, upskill on uh, your knowledge and your application of that knowledge. Um, this uh, Making the notes and stuff for this episode actually reminded me that we should probably have an adipose tissue physiology in our physiology section. So maybe that's something in the next coming months as well. Um, but yeah, if you'd like to get involved, then that is a good idea. Um, if you like, like physiology, I suppose this was probably a physiology discussion in some sense. Um, we do have a lot of physiology content within um, the coach's corner. So lots of articles and lectures on the way as well. So lots of stuff that you and can it's learn. Basically the next year we're going to build out like, you would go into it and you'll have it from start to finish. If you're like, I don't know anything about coaching, you'd be able to go into that and come out the other side of watching all those lectures and be like, I'm a top level coach, right? And obviously if you're already, you know, you're kind of a, a medium level coach, you want to be the best, you know, you want to do go, come to the next level. Like obviously if you go into that already having knowledge, you'll be coming out fucking top tier, especially if you engage in the group as well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, although, although one of our kind of stated goals is to make sure that things are applicable, like there is also benefits to just knowing theory behind things yourself. Like a good example of that would be like we just discussed there. Like if you're trying to justify a weight neutral approach, for example, to your client, and you know that the evidence shows that you can reduce liver fat with just exercise, then there you go. That's something that you can start to, to open up the discussion with. So, you know, knowledge, is almost always useful. Okay, I stand by that. Um, but yeah, Coach's Corner, you can get involved. Um, just link is below. And if you just like to kind of follow along with what we're doing, you can join the Triage Method newsletter, subscribe there, and you can follow along with uh, all the content that we are producing. So if you just like to get the updates on, you know, what was the podcast this week? Uh, what did we post on social media? Um, what new content did we publish? Um, all that sort of stuff, you can follow along there. There's also an, in, an exclusive uh, article or post that goes into those newsletters that doesn't get released anywhere else. So if you'd like to keep up with those things, which are generally a little bit more informal, then that's a good idea. You can also join our Triage Method community, which is our free Facebook group. We welcome anyone asking any questions that they have. Um, if you have to present, I don't know, some sort of issue you're having with a client you're coaching or with your own goals or whatever, we always get back to people there and try to give you um, our best response. Uh, so other than that, you can follow along with our social media, uh, Triage Method on all relevant platforms as always. And we would, of course, like to say that as we head into the new year, it's obviously a time where people are you know, getting back on their goals and all that sort of stuff. So we do have coaching spaces available if that is something that you're interested in. Um, we are glad to hear, obviously, that the gyms are remaining open in Ireland. So I know some people were kind of hesitant about whether or not they get involved with coaching, obviously, because there was the potential that the gyms could close. And I was even thinking about that with my own goals. I was like, oh God, what am I going to do for <laughs> the next few months? I was just thinking. Brazilian you know, Jiu-Jitsu is still also not... Oh. Yeah, because I've been thinking, I'd be like, you know what, I might commit to a bit of a bulk, which I haven't done in absolutely ages and try to get less skinny. Mm -hmm. 
because <laughs> I've just kind of been in limbo for ages and with, with all the lack of training and just kind of maintenance like definitely I've lost muscle probably so you didn't have a lot to lose in there. I know that's the thing um, you used to have absolutely juicy delts as well lost it. they still got that, that they still got that shape bro um, I just need to get back to doing like 10 sets of ladder raises a session and stuff <laughs> and put on a few kilos but yeah um, we'll get back there and and yeah that's so you're that's just saying you're say about really. to go onto a fucking dreamer bulk and gain copious amounts of body fat that's you're yeah. saying after oh, this episode. Don't worry. see the thing is i actually hate knowing all this stuff i hate it because like that's primarily where i store my body fat is like around my midsection my legs only where i store, store my body fat like my li- my legs glutes everything shredded stomach literally look about 12 months pregnant yeah you got a fat back as well like yeah i do actually it's basically all around my torso so all of the negative fucking place (laughs) yeah same so yeah i kind of wish i didn't know all this stuff because then i'd I'd definitely be more into like that that's the one thing is that like the more i've gotten into health the less i'm into going in a bulk because of of my health but um yeah realist that's not to scare you away from bulking realistically if you're exercising and you're gaining weight at a slow rate it's not something you need to be stressing about and if you're in the coach's corner i literally just uploaded a lesson as of yesterday which was the 26th um which went through how to gain muscle or maybe it was two days ago how to gain muscle without gaining fat and um, in terms of thinking of it in terms of your your calories how you set up the diet and um, but anyway look that's beside the point people are going to get into the coach's corner if they want to be in the coach's corner and we realistically can't sway them and um, but yeah i have nothing else really to say apart from yeah maybe follow us both on instagram gary's at skinny gaz and i am the real patty farrell i'm putting up content every day about this stuff especially because like we're we're studying stuff you know we pick a topic every week and go let's let's do this topic so you know we, we put together stuff and anything that i'm learning i'll be like right instagram has two thousand characters that you can you know write a post i'm like let's just refine down a singular thing and make a post on that so i would appreciate the follow i know gary would appreciate the follow as well because he's very vain narcissistic and he likes seeing those metrics go up rather than down I've lost 3,000 followers over the last two years. So <laughs> that's definitely not true. <laughs> that's because you uh, joined the uh, medical establishment. You got those, that, those checks from Big Pharma now. Yeah, I don't need those followers, bro. <laughs> yeah, but you can, you can follow me and I will be um, on Instagram arguing with people about COVID and vaccines and stuff. And Stalin, actually, today was another topic of argument. So I think I need to just go back to just posting pictures of me training. That's literally um, yep. you'd make more money as well, Gary. Yep. Not Russian memes. Someone actually messaged me to say today I posted an, an ironic Stalin meme because he was like Santa. Uh, for people who follow me, you'll have seen it. Um it's just general crack. And then someone messaged me. One guy messaged me with a very good point, you know, saying which is something we've discussed before, Patty, about how uh not to make this a political podcast, but people are much more likely to kind of laugh and celebrate like the hammer and sickle and stalin and lenin etc but if you mention hitler people like freak out like you can't do that but then on the other side i think someone messaged me which i thought was way funnier he was like uh oh are you admiring an admirer of stalin i am too oh fucking no like <laughs> i was like, I'm just, like an un- un-iron- or an ironic admirer of the soviet union <laughs> you mean an unironic one like he's fully into it yeah that's yeah yes him not me yeah so yes, uh, not a Stalinist for anyone listening. Fuck. 
Anyway, on that note, on that note, <laughs> out here fucking well, to be done, yeah. Literally, if you want to solve, solve, if you want to solve the obesity epidemic, like Stalin is your man. <laughs> yep. Actually, maybe, yeah. If you were living in Ukraine, Stalin yeah. would be your man. You know, that would be that'd be good. You'd be fucking shredded then. Ten million of you died, but yeah, but that's fine. You were shredded. Yep. Anyway, before we fucking descend into anarchy here, goodbye. Uh, Good night. Um, That's done. Yeah. Goodbye.